the last time I talked to you, I talked about being purposeful. That, um, and, I, and I shared with you my own shortcomings in that regard, that I'm kind of a ready-shoot-aim guy. You know, never a lot of forethought. You know, whether it's a blessing or a curse, I don't know, but the Lord has helped me to be able to get stuff done despite the fact that I'm just a rotten planner. He impressed upon my heart that that's not the good way. The good way is to follow in the Holy Spirit, right? But God had a plan. He had a plan before the foundation of this world, and then we got to see that plan as it played out, right up to the point where what some people would say this is what, Acts chapter 29? Is that the, if there was another one, is 28 the end of Acts? Anyway, Acts chapter one more would be now. <laughs> Acts plus one would be now. And we're watching it play out, God's plan. So when I committed in my heart, Lord, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to ask you to bless me on Saturday afternoon because I haven't figured out what to talk about on Sunday morning. Whoa, baby. It started to come. I've got probably seven message topics that the Holy Spirit has placed on my heart. And, and the beauty of that is, is more than just, you know, that I know, right? I, it's no fun on Saturday night knowing that on Sunday morning you're going to be standing up here and you got nothing yet. Right? So that's a blessing. But the second blessing is, I don't have any preparation for these messages. I mean, I print this thing on Saturday night usually, and, and then you hear it on Sunday morning. I haven't really had a great opportunity to restudy or anything. But now, I'll be studying these, these topics that the Lord has given me, and I just think everything is going to be really, he's going to bring us to another level in um, really understanding his word. So, to that end, the first one is... For us as a church, right, the whole church to be bold, but for us as a church to be bold in our approach to seeking lost souls, to, to talking to people. God is going to create for us appointments, and we need to be prepared to represent Jesus in those appointments. And, and that's what these next three weeks are going to be about, to talk about salvation. So um, here's my objectives. Recognize and embrace our roles in God's plan for mankind. He's got a plan we're it. There is no plan B. I thought about this. Um, God doesn't change his plan. We, we, we could say, oh, Lord, I'm afraid. I don't want to go talk to that person. And you could do it any way you want because you're God, and you could just save them if you wanted to. And, and that'd be absolutely true. But God has a plan, and we're integral to that plan. And, and if you wonder about that, think about his only begotten son, in the garden, sweating beads of blood, literally, because he knows what's about to happen. And he said, if there's any way that this cup could pass by me, but not mine, but your will be done. God could have picked a different way. He looked at his son. If you saw your son and you knew what was about to happen to him, if you had any flesh at all, you would be wanting to do something different. God didn't take that cup from his hand. He made him drink from that cup because that was the plan. So if we think that it's okay for us to be, not to walk out our part of the plan because it's uncomfortable and somebody might not want to hear what Jesus has to say, and we look at that next to let this cup pass from me, we need to walk out what God told us to do, right? Okay, so our roles in God's plan for mankind. Second thing is understand and believe the biblical way to eternal salvation. Now, some of you have been in church your whole lives, you know, multiple different churches, multiple different teachers. Probably not today, but next week or the following week, I'm probably going to rub up against some of what you've been taught. And, and if I do and you feel really strongly, you need to let me know, right? I prayed, Lord, don't let me say anything that's not from your heart, that's not true to your word, and I mean it. I'm just a guy that reads the Bible. 
I have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I believe that absolutely, but I'm, I'm very much able to make a mistake. So if, if I rub up against what you think to be truth, you need to call me, and that's, we'll open the book, and we'll find truth together, okay? All right. The biblical way to eternal salvation. I don't think it's generally taught in its fullness, and I think because of that, um, we leave people open to some really bad potential. And then the third thing is, is to provide a process to help us, that, that you, as Christians, don't necessarily have to understand, or eh, I would love that you understand. You don't necessarily have to remember every scripture. You don't have to worry that when God makes an appointment for you that you're going to have to, wait a minute, let me pull out my three pages of what to tell you so that you can go to heaven thing that will give you a tool that you can use, and if you can just remember the tool, the anointing will lead you to the place of taking that person where they need to go. Okay, so first let's talk about recognizing our role. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we were given... A mission. Co-mission means us and somebody else. In this case, it's with Jesus. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. There is no authority that is above the authority that God the Father has placed in Jesus Christ. We've been sent to go in his name and in his authority to do the things that he's taught us to do here, to make disciples of all nations, to teach those nations, those disciples, everything that he's commanded us, right? That's our job. All right. Then, you hear me say this all the time, but it's important. In John 20, 21, Scripture says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with me, or <laughs> peace be with me, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So if Jesus is saying, the Father sent me for a purpose, as he sent me, now I'm going to send you. You go as I was sent. We should go look and see how Jesus was sent. And there's, there's probably lots and lots of scripture that you can draw from to get a sense for how Jesus was sent. But for the context of this message, there's two verses that I think are really important. The first is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the second half of the verse. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Right? So, as I was sent, I send you. I was sent to destroy the works of the devil. You are sent to destroy the works of the devil. And you can do that because you have his authority. In your own authority, you think about Satan, the devil, right? The baddest angel in heaven, the most beautiful. There's a hierarchy of the angelic in heaven. And Satan was at the top of the ladder. He was, he was the one that was created just the Mac Daddy angel. And he fell. So Pat Brady, flesh guy, Bible says the man was made a little bit lower than the angels. Well, that means a little bit lower than the lowest angel. Satan being the highest angel, in my own power and authority, I'm no match for Satan. But greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And in the authority of Jesus Christ, every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow. So in Jesus' authority, we don't have to be afraid in Jesus' authority. We walk in grace down that narrow path that leads to that little door, and we'll do the things that we're sent to do, destroy the works of the devil. Number two... Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. And this verse is, is told in at least one other gospel, and I love the way Luke told it. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost. So you might think, all right, save that which was lost. It's going to come and find you, right? 
And sometimes it will. Probably at the time you least want to have to address that thing. But we're to seek and save that which was lost. So we have to be looking, eyes open, moving forward, embracing the opportunities that the Holy Spirit is going to put in front of us or that the Lord is going to put in front of us. The Holy Spirit will empower us to do, I don't know what's the right exact politically correct way to say that, but you know what I mean, right? We're to seek out opportunities to save those that are lost. Both of these verses speak to people. The works of the devil is all about taking what God loves and separating him from it. In the garden, he did it with Adam and Eve. Every day he tries to do it in your homes and in your mind and your thoughts. Pastor prayed over me before we started this morning. He talked about the flaming arrows of the enemy, that, that those things, that the angels would come and they would knock those things down, that my shield of faith would be strong to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. That's it. That's him trying to mess me up, trying to get me mad at my wife, trying to get me frustrated with my kids, trying to get me afraid at church. All these things. Don't pray for that person. What if they don't get healed? Flaming arrow. Don't listen to it. No fear. Seek and save that which was lost. Destroy the works of the devil. As I was sent, I send you. Go, go, go in my authority to all the nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You start to get a feel for that, right? Okay. So then let's talk a little bit about what the Bible says regarding salvation and this process that, that he's kind of laid on my heart. Give me the next slide, Chris. Understand, believe, confess, remain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow this up so that you understand what I mean by each of these. But if you go to the next slide, Chris, is that the acronym? UBCR. When we're done after three weeks, if all you remember is UBCR, UBCR, understand, believe, confess, remain. Understand, believe, confess, remain. Understand, believe, confess, remain. UBCR. I promise you that if you will spend time with the Holy Spirit, the anointing will come and you will remember everything that you need to know to make good on what Jesus sent you to do. Okay? All right, UBCR. Give me the first um, timeline slide. Sometimes I feel like I'm back at Hewlett-Packard doing a sales presentation, but let me explain to you what's up here. The white line that turns into yellow is a timeline. I, I don't think it starts when you're born. I think it starts when you become accountable to God, right? So a little baby may not be accountable to God, but a 25-year-old man is, right? He's, if you've reached that age where you're accountable, you are, you are literally at that point spiritually dead. You're lost. From God's perspective... He can't, he can't see you. You can't be with him because sin, your sin, and God will not coexist together. All right? You're spiritually lost. Now, the blue line, you notice it starts with a dashed line and then it becomes solid. That blue line represents grace. Right? For by grace you are saved, not of your own works. It's grace. But it starts out dotted and then it becomes solid. I'll explain that to you. The first three things you see, called, enlightened, and Lord... That could be one minute. So it's not a linear scale that you're seeing. All that could happen within the course of a minute or five minutes that someone would be saved. Okay, you see across the bottom, understand, believe, confess, remain. Uh, Margie, will you help me? You got the mic? Okay. So, all right, the first thing that happens when a person gets saved biblically is that they're called. Um, Margie, read for me John 6, 44. No one can come to me. 
Unless the Father who sent me draws him. Draws him. Okay, now, I added an extra one in there for you in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Sorry, I, I didn't put these in my notes, but I, I, I thought it was important that we would read them out loud. I got it on your, it's on your 3 by 5 card. I wrote it for you. First okay. Corinthians chapter 2, maybe 15. It's, it's on the right side of the page near the top. It's highlighted. First Corinthians 2. Oh, you're out of order. That's what you are. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was already in order. Uh, so I didn't plan that good yet. <laughs> you're doing great. 2.14, right? Yeah, it's on the right side. Oh, it's not the right page. Oh, okay. So let me tell you the I got scripture. it. I got it. Oh, she's got it. 2.14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Okay, so spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, because he doesn't have the Spirit, right? When you get past, where that line turns solid blue... You have the Holy Spirit. He comes and makes you a temple. He comes to live inside of you. But the person who's in that white line before the blue dots start does not have the Holy Spirit, does not have the grace to understand spiritual things. And I wanted you to hear this because sometimes you might not hear God as perfectly as sometimes I don't hear God perfectly. And you're going to find yourself in a situation and you're going to share the Lord with them. And they're going to look at you like you're out of your mind. And the reason they're going to do that is because grace has not started. They have not yet been called. If they've been called, no one comes to the Father or to, to the Lord Jesus unless they've been drawn by the Father. That drawing process is a grace that they get so that things of the Spirit make sense to them. Being born again, <laughs> you probably didn't even see it. Being born again, <laughs> some dancer's going to break her leg right there and then play this afternoon. Being born again is crazy. What was the guy's name that came? How, does a, how can a man get back into his mom's womb, right? It didn't make any sense to him, right? Nicodemus, thank you. Um, so the first thing that happens is that you get called, that you get drawn by the Father unto Jesus. The second thing that happens is an enlightening that happens to you, that you get to a place where all of a sudden now Jesus starts to make sense to you. Go ahead, read me the next scripture. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so Jesus says to the disciples, you know, who do they say I am? And one of them says, you're Elijah. And the other one says, you know, you're somebody else. And you're this one. And he says, but Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, who do you say that I am? And Simon says, well, you're, you're the one. You're the Messiah. You're the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. And that wasn't revealed to you in your flesh. That was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. So this, this thing happens where you're enlightened by God. First he draws you unto the Son. Then he enlightens you as to who the Son is. And then the third thing that happens is um, where you confess him as Lord. Read 1 Corinthians twelve three now, Margie. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so a carnal man could speak the words, Jesus is Lord. But he's not confessing Jesus is Lord. Because the grace of God is what would allow you to walk in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, no one can call Jesus accursed 
by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in the same manner, nobody can confess, can call Jesus truly Lord without that grace that comes from heaven. So the three things that have to happen in order that you might be biblically saved is that you have to understand that you're lost. If you don't know you're lost, you won't get out a map. If you're on your way to someplace and you know you're on the right road, even though you're not, you don't get out a map and look when you think you're going in the right direction. You have to understand that you're not headed to where you think you're going, right? Second thing that has to happen is that you've got to believe truly in your heart. Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the part I get a little lost on. For with the heart you believe unto righteousness and the mouth you confess unto salvation, right? So you have to confess or you have to believe that Jesus really is who the Bible says he is, that you are a sinner, you understand, that you are separated by God in your sin, and that God sent his son as the absolute full payment for sin. See, it's not that sins are forgiven. Every sin has to be paid for. There's a penalty and a price for sin. The difference is the person who is in Jesus has had that sin paid for by Jesus. The person that is not in Jesus will pay for that sin eternally themselves. Okay? All right. And then the third thing that has to happen, and this is where we start to run into problems, I think, in the way that people are led to the Lord, is that we must confess Jesus as Lord. Now, that means that he is truly Lord of your life, that you have submitted your will to his. That if, if, if Jesus' word says go straight, but your flesh says go left, you go straight. Doesn't mean you've got to be perfect in your ability to walk it out. I'll talk about that when we talk about this particular part of the process. But you sincerely in your heart have to be committed to Jesus as Lord. See, until that time, Lord is all kinds of things. Primarily, ourself is Lord. But we have to die to ourselves, and then we're born, and we rise again. We become alive in Christ. So at that point where you have been called, you understand that you're lost, you've been enlightened, and you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you confess with your mouth that you are now giving your life over to him, what happens is you die. You become a dead guy. If you really meant it, if you were sincere, you're a dead guy. But then you're born again in Christ, okay? And then Ephesians 2.8, read that one for me just real quick. It's a bonus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right. So it's important to understand foundationally that there is nothing you can do, nothing you did do. If you're saved, it wasn't because you did anything. You were saved by God's grace, by his choice to have you brought into his kingdom, in his son. That's how you got saved. There's not a thing on earth that you could have done to earn it for yourself. It gets a little bit confusing when you get on the right side of that, that yellow line that, that says confess under it. You were created for works to do, right? But you don't confuse the works that God has for you to do for him with any work that got you into his kingdom, into his grace. It's only by his grace, okay? And then the last thing that I will show you here on this particular slide is the word remain. Remember, U-B-C-R. You begin now... You're born again, you're a baby Christian, and you are in Christ. But you must remain in Christ. There are two different schools of thought. There's a school of thought that says once you're saved, you are always saved. And there's nothing that you can do to separate 
to be separated from that salvation in Christ. The other school of thought, which is the one that I, that, that I uh, believe, is that you can separate yourself from Jesus and that you must remain in Christ if you are going to ultimately get to the end there, the, the white part that says physical death, right? When this thing ends and you make the hard north turn to heaven, it's because you're found, you're saved, where the yellow line first hits, right there, that's when you're saved. But your salvation is not realized until you draw your last breath and you turn up. Now, when we get to the point where I explain to you the scriptures, because I want you to believe this because the scriptures teach it, where we talk about remain, there's going to be a different chart where that thing doesn't make it all the way to the end. And guess which way that arrow is going to point? It will be the, the south rapture, like if you went in that hole right there. Okay. Shabbatabadoo. Where the heck am I at? All right, so today's object, objective is to understand. Um, and to understand, to get to that place where we believe that we're spiritually dead before we come to Jesus, let's look at some scripture. Um, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty one. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Key words there are in. We are born in Adam, right? Adam of Adam and Eve fame, right? Adam is just the Hebrew word for man, for mankind. We're born in Adam. When Adam fell, everybody that's in Adam fell with him. So we're born in Adam. If nothing ever changes, if we don't answer, remember now you can be called, you can be enlightened, but you might never choose to believe or you might believe but never choose to confess. And you remain in Adam. That's the key. Give me the next um, timeline slide. I just wanted to show that to you. The scripture says that everybody that is born in Adam is, is dead. Literally. Spiritually dead. Right? You get to walk around for 50, 100 years, but you're dead eternally. When you come to the place of understanding, believing, confessing in Christ, you become in Christ and you become alive, born again. You're alive to God, okay? So that scripture is just to help us to understand that we're dead people. Romans chapter 3, we're dead people, right? Our old self is dead. Our new self is alive to Christ. Thank you. All right, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 24. I got new revelation when, I was, when God brought this scripture to my mind. It was so fun. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Whew. Okay, so I'm going to just go through that little course of scripture a little bit at a time. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. I always see Kirk Cameron when I think like this, or what's the other guy's name? Ray Comfort. You ever heard the way of the master? They do these street witnessing to people. They always ask him questions about the Ten Commandments. So what does the law say? The law says do not steal. I was going to have you all raise your hands. 
do not steal, do not lie, honor your mother and father, do not covet. Probably if everybody had their hand down, we've gone through four of the ten, they probably have all of our hands would have to come down, that we tripped over something in there. We've told a lie, we've coveted, we haven't honored our parents at some point or another. As soon as that happened, see, you can't be righteous by the works of the law. The law was brought to make us aware of sin. And I heard a guy describe it this way one time. If you think about, you think about um, let's say my righteousness, right? I'm just a guy. I think I'm a pretty good guy. And, and if I were to think of my righteousness as a straight line, I would think, it, you know, it's pretty straight. It's, it's a straight line. I'm an okay guy. Until you take the straight line of the law and you put it against the straight line of your, your own righteousness, when you compare your righteousness to, to the law, you find out, holy smokes, my line's all over the place like this, and that my righteousness truly is as filthy rags. So the law was brought into effect so that sin would be recognized as sin, that we would see it for what it is. Um, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Um, I love this. This is, this is the part that, that God just showed me yesterday. Um, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God being manifested is Jesus. He came incarnate as a man, right? God's righteousness, Jesus Christ, has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Show the picture, Chris. So this is a, some artist's uh, depiction of the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And one of my revelations that God gave me, which for me was huge, probably for the rest of the world was minor, but it's like, wow, here's God. He brings these three Jewish guys, James, John, and Peter, up onto the mount. Oh, it disappeared. (laughs) So he brings these three Jewish guys up on the mountain with them. They're kind of like his guys he's mentoring. And he has Jesus stand on the mountain, and all of a sudden he glorifies Jesus. And appearing next to him on one side is Moses, and on the other side is Elijah. And Moses, to the Jewish people, represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets, right? Everything they did, if they felt themselves to be right with God, was guided by what the law told them and what the prophets told them. So he stands Jesus between them in front of these Jewish guys, and he says, listen to him. And basically he's saying what Ephesians, or excuse me, Romans 3 says here, that the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's cool. That same picture Paul told about here. That was my revelation. I'd never noticed it for that before. And even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those believe. So, so the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ when you believe. Um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So nobody, right? When somebody says, no, maybe you and maybe him, but not me because I'm a good guy and I've never sinned. It's not true. All have sinned. Bible teaches that nobody has lived without sin. You've fallen short. The ultimate objective was God's glory, his presence all the way, all the time. But we've all fallen short of that through sin. Uh, Justified by a gift, as a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That's where your redemption is found, in Christ Jesus. Whew. Pastor, I'm still learning to talk and breathe at the same time. When I talk a lot, I stop breathing. If I start to turn blue, don't you all fight over who gets the chest. All right, Romans (laughs) 6.23. And I have this friend called Dory. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, 
The wage of our sin is death. Every person has sinned. There's not a single person who is righteous, who could ever, by their own works, by, by their own abilities, be found righteous to God. The wage of the sin is death. It's eternal death. It's that timeline that you saw making a hard south turn into hell eternally. And, you know, one of the things that's on my list is to, is to preach about heaven and hell. We really, I think if we don't talk about heaven and hell, we don't, the impact of the, of the message loses some of its power, right? I'm the kind of person that if somebody told me about heaven and they said, you need to die to yourself and you need to walk this narrow path with this guy Jesus and, and you have to pick up your cross daily and all that kind of stuff, and, and I thought my option was this or that, as good as they could describe heaven, I might not care enough to walk that path with Jesus. The motivator for me is hell, personally. Other people, it's heaven. To be in God's presence, to know his love more fully. But for me, it would be more about the fear of hell, right? And hell is so real. And the thing that's so scary about hell that I think naturally we don't really comprehend very well is hope, right? You could have the worst thing in the world happen to you. You could be hanging on the side of a cliff in the middle of the Himalayas, nobody within 100 miles, but you're not dead yet. There's a hope that something could happen, that a person will show up, a helicopter will fly by, a rope will drop down. There's always, in the most precarious situation, there's hope. And I don't think we understand the absence of hope because there's always, always, always hope. In this life, there's always hope. But once you cross that line from this one to the next one, right, you, you will be an eternal being. It's either going to be with God or without God. And, and no matter how good you thought you were, no matter how many you know, old ladies you walked across the street, how many whatever you did that was good, if you aren't found in Jesus Christ and you stand for your judgment and Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you, you're going to say, but wait, Jesus, I mean, but you can't, there's no hope now. It's done. It's over with, decided, you're judged. And that's the thing that we have to understand. When you look at a person and you know they're not saved, Holy Spirit's leading you to them, you assume they're not saved, you have to understand the magnitude of the task that God is asking you to perform for him. That that person, short of Jesus Christ, is going to potentially come to... Now, they might choose... I hear people in our world, oh, I think... Lord, you've got to help them. The one that says, you know, me and my pals are going to be in hell. They think it's cute. It is not cute because they have no idea what they're talking about. They do not know what they're talking about. They, they think, hey, you know what? Drink, live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse, go to hell. Who cares? They will care. I promise you. And, and a billion years from the minute that they were judged, there's still no hope. You can't repent in hell. You cannot turn and be received back from hell. That's why it's important. I had some scriptures. I'm not going to share them. They're just the scriptures from Matthew 25 where Jesus is separating the nations, right? The, um, the sheep are on his right and the goats are on his left and, and, he, and he looks at the, at the sheep, those on his right. I'm trying to do this on your right. I think I'm correct. Th- those on his right, and he said, when I was sick, when I was hungry, when I was naked, when I was in jail, you ministered to me. Or you ministered. They said, well, when did we do all these things to you, Lord? He said, whenever you did it to the least of these. And then he sends them to be with the Father. 
And then he looks at the, the goats that are on his left. And he says, when I was sick and when I was hungry and when I was naked and when I was in jail, you never came. And they said, well, Lord, when did we not? He said, whatever you didn't do to the least of these, you ignored me. And he sends them to their eternity. That's the gist of what we're talking about. See, we have to get to a place. And, and you know, I'm, I'm talking to you like I'm there. I'm not all the way there. I, I, there are parts of my life that I, I think I'm holding on to. I, I told you this morning. I honestly don't know what Teresa's going to talk about at the ladies' meeting. But I know what we've been going through for the last year. We have been so tested. I'm not even giving it to the devil. I'm not even saying it's him. I think it's the Lord showing us places in our hearts that we haven't had to deal with yet because we have to move from glory to glory under the likeness of Jesus Christ. And, and that comes painfully sometimes. Amen. You find out, you know, I'm kind of a jerk. Not all the time, but you learn this stuff because the Holy Spirit shows you. And then you've got to make a decision. Now you know, what are you going to do with it? We have to come to the place where we understand that we're dead people. I hear people say things all the time. Oh, did you hear so-and-so gave their life to the Lord? I'm like, well, I hope so. But I don't know that they really know what that meant. If we don't lead them there and tell them, listen, you traded this one for that one. So you could have your, your 80 years or whatever. You know, I'm 41, I think, when I got saved. Never been to church my whole life. I mean, I'm just a blank white sheet of paper. In fact, February, it'll be 10 years. Right? Dory got my thought. Ten years ago, got saved. Need to understand that I died to myself. Now, it took a little while, right? And I'm still dying to things of myself. But that's the decision that you make. I'm 41. Maybe God's going to give me 80 years. Maybe he's going to give me 60 years. I don't know. If he gives me 60, I had 19 more, right? And I could live them. They could be mine. I could do whatever I want. I could choose with my life to do what I want. But as soon as I give it to Jesus, it's not mine anymore. When he says, hey, I need you to help this family, write him a check for $1,000. And you say, Lord, there's only 1000 in my account. What am I going to do when my bills come? He's like, well, none of that money's yours anyway. You hadn't figured it out yet. But you do what he tells you to do, and you trust him by faith that he's going to provide to you or for you. So that's the gist of these three weeks, is we got to understand we don't have a life anymore. We were bought with a price. The price was the blood of Jesus. The good news is, if I die at 60 and I didn't get saved, I traded 11 years. Or I did get saved. I traded 11 years where I don't get to have my own life. Now, the reality is, it's cool having Jesus own your life. It really is. It can be challenging sometimes, and he'll show you some stuff that you might not want to see, but it's a good life. It's not a bad life. But the one that comes afterwards, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So that's what we made the trade for, okay? All right. So... Let's close our eyes and let's take this first bit of this message, three parts. Now we understand, understand, UBCR, understand, believe, confess, remain. We'll get the next three in the next two weeks. Maybe there's somebody here that just through this has a sense of the calling of Jesus on your life. That if you were to look at that slide that you're starting to have that process happen to you. That, that dotted line grace is starting in your heart right now. If there's anybody here that that's you, I'd ask you to just put your hand up for me and let me know.
Because the Bible says that if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you will not confess me before men, I will not confess you. So there is some public acknowledgement of what you're doing that needs to happen. Anybody? All right, then. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that you didn't have to do any of this. You didn't have to look from heaven down on your son as he was flogged and beaten and spat upon and had his beard plucked out and that crown jammed down into his head and nailed to that cross and had that spear pushed up into his heart. You didn't have to do any of that. You could have just said, all have sinned and fallen short of my glory. So sad for them. But you didn't. You made such a sacrifice and we just want to be so thankful for you for that ask you to stir us, Lord, to draw us into you as we draw near to you, God, that you've come near to us, that we'll hear your voice, that we'll know your word, and that we really will be found obedient to your teaching. That whenever we get to come, Lord, that we come to heaven and we stand and you say to us, well done, well done, well done. Thank you.